Good morning, church family. I am Tim. If you have your Bible, I'm glad that you're in Joshua chapter 5. Would you go to Joshua chapter 2? And while you're finding your way, you know, one page over to Joshua chapter 2, just a word of warning. I have been uh, struggling this week with a little bit of a cold. Most of my caloric intake has not been turkey, although it has been a lot of that. Uh, It's been a NyQuil and DayQuil and uh, lemon honey cough drops. And so I'm super excited about that. And so if in the middle of this uh, I lose my voice, I'll try to mime the rest or something. We'll figure this out. Uh, But I'll try to say something worth listening to if you listen well through my pitches and uh, lulls in my voice. Joshua chapter 2 is where we are. I've been at College Park for just a few months now, and my very first day on the job, uh, my wife and I found out some exciting news. Uh, she, we are pregnant, she more so, uh, actually so, and so I'm pumped about that. And uh, yeah, you can clap, that's good. She's pregnant, pumped. Child number one. And uh, on top of that, a week and a half ago, we found out that I'm having a boy. And so I'm super excited about that. I uh, was raised in a house of all boys. Most of the jobs I had before being a pastor were very male-oriented and uh, in the military. And, uh, uh, and so I get that world. When it was thinking about are we having a boy or a girl, that world scared me. I would embrace it. I would go through it. But the world of boys, I get. I've been one my whole life. And uh, being the number three of four, I understand that. I watched my dad discipline boys. And so when I went from girls who, like, a girl cries and I, I'm done. I don't, I'm, I mean, I just want to give them stuff. It's just we. I'm, I'm telling you, I know I got, I got no defense against that. But boys, I can discipline. Like, because I, I know you're kind. That's what I'm thinking. <clears throat> And so uh, when I found that out and began thinking and how, uh, of, of discipline, I, I remembered uh, a few days ago my little brother. My dad worked like 70 or 80 hours a week, like six and a half days a week laying floor. And so he just did the best he could uh, with us. He didn't have time for uh, long, drawn-out discipline. He was quick and to the point with a hand broom. And so uh, whenever uh, my little brother one time didn't want to put away his laundry, my dad said, well, you know what's going to happen if you don't. I will discipline you. And, uh, you know, little kids, man, they pout out their bottom lip and they cross their arms and they begin saying things that they don't know what they're saying, right? That phrase is like, uh, I don't love you anymore. Have you heard that from your kids? You're thinking, you don't know what you're saying. You're still going to have to do it. You can say that, but that you don't mean that, right? And I remember one time he wouldn't put his, wouldn't put his laundry away. My dad and said, I don't love you. That's fine. Still put your laundry away. He said, I don't want to be a part of this family. My dad's like, one less, that's one less mouth to feed. I'll open the door for you. And he told him, your clothes are already folded and packed for you. Just pick up the pile and go on out. <clears throat> and so my dad, being, we all turned out okay, all right? So just don't call. I mean, we're all old now. So... Uh, so my dad opened the door, and my little brother went out and uh, made it about, I don't know, halfway into our neighbor's yard, right? My dad was watching the whole time. You know how this plays out, because probably you've done that before with your own kids, or your teenagers are saying that right now, and you know as parents, oh, you don't know what you're saying, 
but I hope you, get, you do that sometimes, right? Like just, and so he made about halfway into the yard, and he turned around and came back crying because as soon as my brother realized the extent uh, of life that he had lost being under my dad's house, being in the protection of that home, losing things, you know, like food, you know, clothing. What do you do at five? You didn't do anything. And so as soon as he realized that, he turned around and came back crying. And I tell you all that to tell you this. When we jump into Joshua chapter 2, we're finding God's people in a place where they have come through not just making it to their neighbor's yard, pouting to God that I don't want to be a part of your family anymore, uh, that, uh, that I don't love you anymore, that I don't want to obey anymore, not just a 30-second walk next door and crying back. They have spent 40 years wandering the desert because of their disobedience. And so God uh, let them wander, said, you, you, you don't want to be in my family anymore. You don't want me to be your God anymore. Fine. In fact, in Exodus chapter, or Numbers rather, chapters 13 through 14, they came to the edge of the promised land that God had brought them to out of Egypt, and they began to give excuses as to why they don't want to go in. They said the enemy is too strong. Man, there's really, there's like big people of, and descendants in there. There's way too strong of enemies there. They said we're too weak. Don't you know we're Israelites? We're way too weak. We're never going to be able to overcome them. Well, they said that there's too many problems in that land. Now, they had seen the report of the spies, the 12 who went, 10 that came back and said, don't go, to Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, the Lord has given us the land. It is fruitful. Let us go and take it. They understood what God had called them to. They saw the fruit of the land, and still they said, we're too weak. They're too big. There's too many issues here. And then they come to this conclusion in chapter 14, verses 2 through 4. Would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness on the way here? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And with their arms crossed and their lips out, they begin to say, when bondage in Egypt was better than freedom where God has called us. Now, as Joshua is looking over the land, as God's people are looking over the land, as a reader of Scripture, when you get to Joshua chapter 2, you have this tension. Will God's people follow and obey God moving forward, believing God in what he said to them, moving forward in faith, or will they fail again? And the failure isn't a matter that they didn't know what God had called them to do. The failure isn't a matter that they did not see what could be done if they obeyed God. The failure was a matter of faith. Faith from cover to cover in Scripture is believing God and acting on His Word. You cannot say, I have faith, if you do not act in accordance with his word. And likewise, you cannot say, I act in accordance to what God told me to do and not believe God and be considered as having saving faith. Faith is both of those things. And so they're standing on the edge of the promised land. And the question is, will they respond faithfully and moving forward to where God has called them? And this is where you and I enter the text. Perhaps you've come to a place 
or you've been to a place where you found yourself standing on the edge of where God has called you to go. And you're asking yourself, what would it take for me to go? You're asking yourself, I mean, uh, do I have what it takes to move forward? Will I fail again? You're looking at what God's called you to do, and you're looking at what, where God's called you to go, or you're looking at who God's called you to be, or you're looking at how God's called you to lead, or you're looking at how God's called you to act in your family, or you're looking how God's called you to lead at work, you're looking how God's called you to parent, you're looking at how God's called you to be at school, you're looking at how God has called you on mission for his glory, wherever he's called you, and you're throwing up the excuses, man, there are way too many people in my way. You don't understand, Tim, and you're, I don't, I don't know your life. There's way too many people in the way. There's way too many obstacles. I don't have the education. I don't have the training. I'm not qualified. Or maybe you're just looking at it and going, I'm way too weak, Tim. You don't know the baggage that I have. And you're right, I, I, I don't. But today what we're going to learn is the same thing that Joshua's going to see in Jericho. Now there's two big words I need to introduce you guys to, two big theological concepts, and they're this. Number one, God is imminent. What do we mean that God is imminent? Well, we mean this, that God's presence in activity, that he is working in nature, human nature, and history. So our God is not sitting back silent, and waiting for stuff to happen. He is constantly acting, constantly working, and he uses humans to do it. He uses institutions to do his will. He works directly in that. He uses nature to do his will. God is at work, not just among God's people, but among all things. There ain't a single thing in your life that, that is happening that God does not know about and is not in control of. Maybe you just don't understand it. I want you to know that scripture teaches God is imminent. He works. We have a God who works. But with that, God is transcendent. What is transcendence? That's a good question. It's that God is separate and independent of nature and humanity. In other words, this God who's working in history and people and institutions and organizations is not limited by any means to those things. He can work in you or about you or around you or through you or remove you from the equation completely and just get to work. Our imminent and transcendent God is at work. And if you're not a big word person like me, I'll say it like this, and this is what we're going to learn. In fact, if I was taking notes, I'd write this down, that God has worked. God is working, and God will work to accomplish his mission. That's important. I'll say that one more time, and I squeak through that one. God has worked. God is working, and God will work to accomplish his mission. 
This is the truth that we're seeing through Joshua chapter 2 that compels Joshua, that shows him that after 40 years, God's worked, he is working, and he will work to accomplish his mission. Check out Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verses 1 through 7, and we will see how God has worked. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed to dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof, and, uh, and with stalks of flax she had laid in order on the roof, she hid them. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as, as, soon as the pursuers had gone out. How do we see that this report shows that God has worked in Jericho? Well, number one, check this out. God, over, God works even regardless of the failures of the spies. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you've ever been a spy before. Probably not, but you've played one maybe in a game or on TV. And as a spy, what do you try not to do? Like rule number one as a spy. Like, get caught, right? You don't want people knowing you're there. These guys had one job. Like, don't get seen. And automatically, in verse 1 and 2, we find out <clears throat> that not only did they know that they had entered the city, but they also saw where they went. Even though the spies had failed in their mission, God's mission would go through because God had worked already on their behalf. How do we know that God had worked? Continuing on, look at verse 2. We're introduced to somebody. It says, And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, a prostitute's profession is not something that I need to go into right now, I don't think. And if you have a question about that, email Mark Vrogop. That's mvrogop <laughs> at yourchurch.com. And just ask him. He'll be glad to share. And so in that, after three services, I hope he has an inbox full of that. He let me preach, so that's what he gets. So, so in that, we understand that her lifestyle, her sexual ethic, her theology, the culture of Jericho she was raised in, she wasn't just a prostitute. The context tells us that she made a lifestyle, a living of this, that her entire uh, earnings were from this. She probably ran a house of prostitutes, had places to live. That's why they lodged there and was pretty good at running that business and doing that because she had a house in the wall and a roof to put flax of, uh, stacks of flax on. And so when we look at this story, not only had God worked to protect the spies who did not do a good job spying, but God had worked that they would interact with Rahab and find someone whose heart was softened to God's people. Now, God had worked in, different, in, in, in a deeper way than that. We'll find out in a second. 
But not only did he work with the spies, not only had he worked with Rahab and her weaknesses and her faults and her failures and all of the ways her life did not line up with the first five books that are presented in Scripture, not only that, but also God worked in the life of the king and his men. Continuing on, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring up the men who've come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Not only did God work in the other lives, but also the king himself and his men could not seem to figure out where the spies had gone. It's his city. Jericho's not a big place. The people who live there would be known. I mean, you walk through here and you know people. A city where everyone lives and moves and breathes and breathes. They would, have, of course, known where these guys could have been, but God had work that they did not see. In fact, based on Rahab's lie, they went and chased a rabbit trail that led to nowhere. Now, for the record, we're not supporting lying here, right? But there's something really important we need to know about Rahab and where God had worked. Uh, I had a friend uh, in the Navy. He was actually my chief, so at the time I was... We weren't friends, but uh, I shared the gospel with him anyways, and uh, he was kind of hard to it. Over time, he kind of, his heart was softened, and one time there was a Christmas break. We came back from work, and uh, he said, Tim, I'm a Christian now. I said, that's awesome. I mean, it had nothing to do with me. He just got working in his heart. He thought he needed to go to church uh, for, for, during our Christmas break or holiday break or whatever they call it. And uh, he came to our Christmas concert and he brought uh, his family. He heard the gospel. He believed in the gospel. I mean, it was beautiful. He said, man, I'm just, I've been so excited. I started reading the Bible. I said, that's good. He said, what are you reading? He said, I started reading in Genesis. Do you know a man named Joseph? I said, I'm familiar, you know. <laughs> Now, if you are new to church, Joseph takes up like half of Genesis. He's kind of a big deal. And so I said, yeah, I'm familiar with him. What are you reading? He said, oh, I just finished last night Rahab. Or not Rahab, that's who we're talking about. Uh, I just finished last night Potiphar's wife. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. And then he had a line of expletives about Potiphar's wife. At the end, he said, though, uh, he cussed like a sailor. He was one. And so uh, at the end of all of that, uh, he said, but you know what? You know what? I, so far, God has been watching out for Joseph, and I bet he's going to do something through Joseph, even though Potiphar is, you know, not being very nice. And I said, you're right, keep reading that book. And in that moment, in that moment, I had this, I had this tension where I had a, new, a guy who was new to the faith, who was a believer in Jesus Christ, whose heart and life was changed, but some of his old habits, namely how he speaks, his talk, how he acts, some of those things were sticking around. And in that moment, I had a very real tension because uh, I wanted to confirm what God had done, but also figure out, man, that's an area of life we got to figure out. Our, our words matter, right? Now, here's what I want you to see about Rahab. And you have this testimony too, that in your saved state, you still got some issues from your lost state that you brought with you, don't you? Now, Rahab had lied because, and God had worked even in her false, faulty, failure background, even in the condition that she 
came, God worked in her and began softening her heart and worked even through her lie to save his people. Now, don't go lying, but goodness, if God can work through Rahab, he can work through me. And trust me, I know my heart. If God can work through me, he can work through you. God has worked, and that's not all. Not only has God worked, God is working. Look at, uh, uh, look at verse 8 in Joshua chapter 2. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. Uh, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came, uh, before you, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, this is good, is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. <clears throat> now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, verse 14, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Not only has God worked, but how do we see God working in verses 8 through 14? Well, number one, check this out. Look, it says, Rahab tells them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. This is a big deal. Forty years before, the people of God disobeyed and disqualified themselves from the land, God said. And then God said, I'm going to remain faithful to my promise. I'll start over with those who are over 20. I will bring my people into my land because I am God. God was working to preserve the land, even the people that were in the land, for 40 years when God's people were wandering around a desert. This is good news for you and me. That even though I'm not around, God can work. That even though I'm not in your life, God can work in your life. That even though God is not in your, that you're not in your family's life, God can work in your family's life. And I'm convinced that he's working right now. Look at what God is working to do, not just the land, but also in Rahab. He says uh, that you've given the land and the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Have you ever seen somebody melt away? Several years ago, my wife and I uh, got to, we've gone to Ukraine a few times and the first time I went and she had been before me, we, we would go into villages and hand out invitations and then people would gather in the village in the uh, community center and we'd sing some songs and preach the gospel and just watch God move. Now, first seven years, no one kind of did anything. Uh, God, uh, it didn't seem like he was working. And then people just started responding all over the place to the gospel. There's churches uh, in different places. It's a pretty incredible movement with uh, our friends there of what God's doing there. But one of the times going into a village, the first time I went, we were singing, uh, and the preacher was about to get up 
in pre- I'm a terrible singer. Like, if you think I'm, I sing bad now, it's just terrible. And so it definitely wasn't our voice that was getting it done. As soon as the preacher got up, these guys came in the back, and uh, they were hooping, hooting and hollering, and they had uh, bottles uh, of clear liquid. It was vodka uh, later and that I found out. And they were just kind of saying things. And so when the uh, children were excused, culturally that's what you would do, the children would go out, and the women would go with the children and work with them, and then the adults would stay in the room uh, and hear the sermon. Well, when the children went out, these men went with them, about eight to ten, and so some of us as guys, we went out as well to see what was going on. And, and they were, well, they were doing what, people who drink a bunch of alcohol and show up at a church service do, right? I mean, they were getting too close to the girls and uh, they were interacting with the kids and just interrupting stuff. And so I grabbed Olga, our interpreter, and I said, have her, have, tell them I have something for them and to follow me. And I just began walking. And I thought, oh, Lord, help them to follow me because they're interrupting what's going on with the children right now. I just began walking. And then she said something in Ukrainian. And then uh, suddenly these eight to ten guys just began to follow me. And I thought, oh man, it worked. Like, what do I do now? <clears throat> and so I sat down and in my backpack, I had, have you seen um, the leather salvation bands? It's like a fake piece of leather with beads on it. It tells the story of how God sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, uh, and he raised him from the dead. And if you believe in Jesus Christ and confess your sins, you too can be saved. Uh, and so in this gospel bracelet, I sat down and I pulled him out. And I said, we have something in common, and I want to share something with you. And this guy began to lay into me verbally. He got right up in my face with his bottle in his hand, and he said, what do you have in common with me? You're an American, which is true, I am. He said, you have air conditioning at home, which is true, right? Like, I do. That sets us apart, I guess, with most of the world. He said, you have a car. I, I do have a car, you know. It's about to break right now, but I have one. He said, what do you have, common in, have in common with me? He grabbed my hand and pulled it out, and he put his hand next to his. And uh, if you know anyone that works with their hands, let's just say this guy's grip was good. And so... He said, look at your hands and look at mine. I, uh, I shine granite all day long. And look at your hands. You have the hands of a woman, <laughs> which was true, especially by Ukrainian standards, right? I mean, they farm all day long. I probably don't even have that in the villages. And so I was looking at it. His hand was all calloused. He said, You're, we have nothing in common. You have nothing to give me. What do you have for me? I said, I have a message of life. And he held up a bottle. He said, this is life. This is like, this is all I have. I, I got something more for you. And so I began to share the gospel with them. The gospel that I just shared with you, that God sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sins because you couldn't get to him. And that by the shedding of his blood and forgiveness of sins, you confess your sins to God and confess faith in Jesus Christ and you will be saved in uh, something along those lines. And so I just, I just told them the gospel. And suddenly this group of eight to 10 guys began to just melt. It was awesome. Now, I wish I had a really cool story, like, and then they all got saved and a, uh, you know, a revival broke out. Well, no, not all of them got saved. A couple of them did. So that's still a really good story. But in that process, I got to watch their hearts melt. Now, I'm telling all of you this. I'm telling you all this uh, to tell you this, that when hearts melt, there are two responses, you see, that gentleman who was screaming in my face and a couple of his friends, their heart began to melt and soften to the gospel of God. But there were others who 
in that group as we were leaving on our little van bus. It showed us the international sign of, uh, of dissatisfaction with who we are as we were leaving. And their hearts melted in a different way. All of them listened. All of them heard the word of God. All of them heard the gospel. Those whose hearts were softened by God responded. And those who hearts, whose hearts melted were hardened. Have you ever seen plastic melt? It kind of gets hard, right? Now, in, I tell you all of that because I want you to see in this story that the people in Jericho had heard the things of God. The people in Jericho knew that God's people were coming. The people in Jericho even knew that the spies had come who knew God. And you have the king and his men who harden their hearts to try to shut out the message. And you have Rahab who says, I know that you have come. Look at her profession. This is so good in verse 11. As soon as we heard it, that you have come, that your God is with you, that he crushed Sihon and Og, that he parted the Red Seas, that your God has worked. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She expressed saving faith, not only in believing God, but in acting in obedience to his word. She expressed saving faith when God's people came and showed up. God was working in Rahab's life. God was working in Jericho. You say, Tim, I don't see that in the text. Well, thankfully, we still have this whole part of the book that tells us, uh, in Hebrews eleven thirty one. 31, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who are disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies by faith. James 2, 24 through 25, and you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? You see, in spite of all of Rahab's faults and failures, in spite of her background that would have disqualified her in these first five books, she knew that God was coming, she confessed belief and faith in this God, and she acted in accordance with what he would want her to do. She didn't have this part yet, she just had this. And by faith, she responded. That's good news for you and me. Because if you're like me and you have a background that's inconsistent with the first five books, let alone the, the next 61 books of Scripture, man, I need a God who not only worked in the past, but is working in the present to lead me to saving faith. I need that. So we see not only had God worked, but that God is working, and God is working right now. Like Rahab didn't come to that on her own. That, I mean, that kind of brings up a question. Where did she get that from? Like God's people were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. Where did she get this great theology? It appears other places in Scripture, like four other times before this moment. Where did she get that? That's a good question. Put it in your back pocket. We'll answer it in a minute. But continuing on, not only has God worked, but also God is working. He is working in Jericho. He's working here. And not only that, but he will work to accomplish his mission. Look at verse 15. 
It says, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. That's good. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all of your household. Go skip down to verse 22 for time's sake. They departed, the spies, and went to the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. How will God work in this story? Well, God has sent his spies with the message of how to be saved. And he will work through the crimson cord that marks her home as one that is to be saved from destruction. Now, the spies have seen this before. Let's assume that they weren't born in the wilderness. They've understood, or even if they were, they've heard from their parents uh, or those who were under 20, who are still alive in this moment that are 60 years old. They've heard from their elders, if they aren't one of them, how God had rescued them from Egypt. Do you remember how God rescued them from Egypt? He sent a bunch of plagues. Do you remember the plague that finally pushed Pharaoh over the edge? It was God who said, those whose doors and lentils aren't marked by the blood of the lamb will lead to destruction for the firstborn. They understand that the, the idea that blood saves. Y'all, here's what I want you to see. That Rahab's testimony, that the working of God in Jericho is your testimony and God's working here today. That we have a testimony that God has worked, has he not? 2,000 years ago on a cross, God became man and was put to death willingly himself, shedding his blood for your sins and mine. God has worked. And then he was raised from the dead so that all who would believe in him would have life. God has worked. So that all those who have faults and failures, who have sinned before God, whose lifestyle would be one that is irreconcilable with the standard of God, who have not met righteousness, would be righteous because he became righteousness on their behalf if they believe and trust in him. And then 2,000, you can clap. This is good, I, right? You can clap. And not only has God worked, but God is working. Y'all, that wasn't a moment long ago that we looked to and go, man, I hope that happened again one day. And upon salvation in Jesus Christ, Jesus' past becomes our present and his future becomes our future. When we profess faith in Christ, we die with Christ on that cross. As he was raised in the past, we are raised with him right now. The future coming where all things glorify God. We are united with him in that. He is working right now and will 
work to save all of those who find shelter in the crimson blood. The story of Rahab is our story. So let me ask you a question. When you think of what keeps you from moving where you are to where God has called you to be, what's stopping you? Here we go. Is it that there's too many obstacles? God has worked. God's working. And God will work to accomplish his mission. It might not make sense, but, man, that's good news. Would you say that there's too many people in the way, Tim? You don't, and you're right, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know your family. I don't know your job. I don't know who's in front of you. I have no idea. But I do know that God has worked, that God is working, and that God will work to accomplish his mission for you, which is the glory of God to the nations. Would you say, Tim, I'm weak? I, I, I mean, you, got, you have no idea. You're right, I don't. I have no idea your weaknesses. But I knew, do know that God has worked, that God is working, and that God will work to accomplish his mission. And he'll do it through you. The death of Moses didn't stop the mission of God. The weakness of the spies did not stop the mission of God. The, the, uh, the background of Rahab did not stop the mission of God. The king and his men did not stop the mission of God. The disobedience of God's people did not stop the mission of God. On and on we go. God's mission, and when we get involved in this, we understand that he has worked, that he is working, and that he will work to accomplish it. Even in spite and over and above us, that is our imminent, transcendent God. And that's what Joshua got to see. Now, I told you all that as an introduction to Joshua 5. So if it's okay, I'll start preaching now. Joshua 5, (laughs) beginning in verse 13. Because what are we supposed to respond to with this? If we say, okay, I'll do it. I don't know what it is. How do we respond to this? Well, in chapter 3, it says Joshua rose early the next morning and set out, right? He did something. He moved. But here's what I want you to see. This is the sermon, ready? Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. What does Joshua find when he moves forward in faith because his God worked, is working and will work to accomplish his mission. Look at what he finds in verse 13 of Joshua 5. When Joshua was by Jericho, okay, so between chapter 2 and chapter 5, the people of God have moved over to the side, across the Jordan to the side of Jericho. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. Okay, so here's what's happening so far. Joshua goes up finally on a hilltop to look over Jericho and figure out, Man, how am I going to take this city? 
And he looks, at the, he looks up and he sees this man who's standing with a sword drawn. Now there is one in Scripture who always appears in the Old Testament ready for judgment to come upon those who don't believe. I'll give you a hint. He's at the end of the book in Revelation, sitting on the great white throne, ready for judgment for those who did not believe him. There is one who has the keys to death and life. There is one who is sitting on the great white throne as judge, jury, advocate. There is one whom the Father has given authority over all things is the only way. This is Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. This is a Christophany if you want a, fa- if you want a fancy word. In other words, 1,400 years from this moment, Jesus would become flesh, but Jesus existed long before his birth. And in this moment, Joshua goes and finds the commander of the army of the Lord, sworn drawn, ready to get to work. And he asks him, he asks him, are you for us or are you against us? And he says, no. That's a Hebrew way of saying, I'm negating your entire statement. You're not even asking the right question. That's not the right question. Let me tell you who I am. Who is this? Look at what he says. He says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Now I have come. It would literally translate it say, I be being arrived. Now that's terrible grammar, but great theology. When Joshua crosses over, he finds that God has worked is working and will work to accomplish his mission. Joshua isn't going into new, uncharted territory. God knows exactly where Joshua is going, and all along, God is calling Joshua to where he is. This is the sermon. God has worked, God is working, and God will work to accomplish his mission. When you move from where you are to where God has called you to be, it doesn't matter about your faults, it doesn't matter about your failures, the obstacles in the way, there's all that stuff. You're moving to where God is, he can take care of that stuff. He took care of the spies. He took care of the king and his servants. He took care of Rahab. He took care of his people, even in spite of their disobedience. When you move to where God has called you, you find yourself in the presence of God. Because he's already there. It means that if Joshua wouldn't have stayed, or wouldn't have gone, rather, and stayed where he is, he wouldn't be where Christ is. And I'm guessing today that might be why you find yourself jaded in the Christian life. Because God's called you and you're staying. What has he called you to? The Holy Spirit will answer that question. Maybe he's called you to, it's the thing that's coming to mind right now that you hope I don't say from the stage. May we be a people who respond to the call of God to go where he's called us to go and work in his presence. Look at verse 15. And the commander, or after he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, the book of Joshua, there's many battles ahead. This isn't, it's not as easy as turning a key and suddenly everything becomes rainbows and lollipops. No, God's gonna work through Joshua. 
The people don't suddenly obey. There's a lot of work. But man, I tell you what, I bet the first step is to believe that God has, if you find yourself stuck and moving forward in faith, that is believing God and acting on his word, knowing that God has worked, God is working, and God will work to accomplish his mission in your life. So let's get up and go, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. God, we thank you for your gospel, how we move uh, because of it. God, I pray that today you'd help us to know that you are a God who works. Even when we don't see it, when we don't understand it, Father, that you work. God, even when we, don't under, when we can't comprehend why you would possibly call us to do what you've called us to do. God, I pray that in this room you'd help us to see that you weren't impressed by our lives when you saved us, and so we would believe that you would work even through our weaknesses for the sake of your glory. God, I pray that right now in this place you would show every person what it looks like to take the next step forward in faith in Jesus Christ. For those who don't know you, God, would you work in their life by your spirit? Help them to please melt their hearts that they would be compelled to know you. God, help them to find someone at the end of the service or go to the next step center and learn what it, learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. And for all of us in here, may we walk out of here more in love with Jesus, more like him, stepping forward into his presence than when we came. And it's in your name we pray, amen.